Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris Fault, the editor of the Toolkit, and my guest today is director Damien Giselle talking about his new film, First Man. I assume this came to you and it was like you had the book, which has the life rights. Is Was it, or was there a specific angle in the specific story? I mean, obviously, if you're going to tell a Neil Armstrong story, you're going to have Apollo 11 in the landing. Uh, it came to me just, uh, just essentially as this book, Jim Hansen's uh, uh, biography of Neil, um, and um, that was kind of it. I mean, it, it was uh, otherwise it was pretty open-ended as to what to what to do with that. Um, so I think one of the earliest decisions that that I made was to um, basically hone in on just uh, just the years of Neil's life immediately leading up to uh, Apollo 11. It's basically his time at NASA, 1961 and 1969. And how did you? At what point did you kind of figure out uh, that the arc here is going to be, in addition to the arc of Apollo mission, the Gemini mission, is also going to be a story of grief? Because that that's a very specific angle in. Was that something, I wonder how that came along. I know you were working with Josh, your, your writer, for a while. I know Gosling was kind of always part of this. I'm wondering kind of what, what point you guys kind of figured out that's the way you want to get into this. Um, I think it was, uh, yeah, I'm not sure when, I almost forget. Uh, <clears throat> exactly when that sort of materialized but the the I mean, it, uh, it must have been early on um, that uh, you know again that the sort of the, the parameters of when Neil was at NASA you know seemed like kind of the uh, the the right sort of window of time for the movie and uh, and so once you sort of set those parameters then it's almost hard to avoid um, uh, the fact that that Neil uh, lost a daughter right, basically, you know, right before he joined NASA. Um, so, so his his kind of entering NASA was sort of on the uh, kind of uh, on this wave of grief um, that 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 he and his wife Janet uh, would have been experiencing at that moment. So, I think that kind of dictated a lot from the get-go, um, and then I think uh, it certainly dictated a lot of Josh Singer's approach um, when I started working with him, and then, and then Ryan, um, Ryan as well, as soon as he kind of, as soon as Ryan and I had finished uh, La La Land, um, by that point Josh and I had a draft of the script to, uh, to show him, and I'd already talked to Ryan a little bit about the project, but mainly from the point of view of the missions. Uh, in the movie, um, uh, but now with the script in his hand, Ryan, I think, was also able to really um, sort of see it as a story about grief and really tap into and, and, and actually uh, sort of uh, uh, push us, push Josh and me to, to lean in even more into that sort of angle on, on Neil. It just felt like, in many ways, uh, uh, sort of the best way to demythologize uh, a character like that, to really sort of get under the skin of someone who was so famous but so so private and as a result unknown. The thing I didn't know about this and is you know this, this kind of, I mean obviously going to the moon for the first time is not something that's safe but I didn't realize how blind they were and how dangerous and how dangerous all of this felt but also set against a backdrop of the country asking if it's worth it and it really feels like some one of your ways really into this, and I, it wasn't what I was expecting at all when the movie started, was in how you shot the the missions, with the exception of with, with the end, of not only feeling it visceral, but just how 
little lack of control and almost blind they were. Mm. Is that, when you talk a little bit about kind of the approach of how you were shooting those stuff? Yeah, that was, um, that was kind of, uh, certainly part of the idea from the get-go was to try to, um, try to communicate how, <laughs> how kind of, uh, you know, almost by the seat of their pants, uh, uh, these astronauts were operating and, and the program they were a part of, how, how, um, how dangerous and how, I guess, unlikely the whole enterprise was. Um, I think it's something that struck me, especially when I saw, when I got to see some of those capsules uh, uh, for the first time for real, um, seeing how tiny they were, how claustrophobic. Um, they felt like uh, coffins to me more than, uh, more than sort of, you know, spacious high-tech spacecraft that you would sort of like to think um, these sort of cosmic endeavors were were being performed with. Um, so I think the, 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 the feel of those crafts and, and, and Nathan Crowley, a production designer, um, sort of you know, got to work right away reconstructing those crafts, essentially kind of uh, making these full-scale replicas of the crafts and you know, for our actors to go inside and, and, and operate. And um, I think that feeling basically dictated how they were gonna be shot. Um, uh, you know, leaning into the claustrophobia, leaning into the feeling of kind of being buried alive and then hurled into the black of space felt like it dictated uh, a camera style that would stay inside the capsule for the most part, that would communicate that claustrophobia, that would um, feel a little more like what you expect from maybe a tank uh, movie or, or a sort of World War II submarine movie um, um, uh, uh, than then, yeah, the sort of grandeur of space that, that I think we're kind of used to seeing maybe in space travel movies, sort of luxuriate in the, the glories of it, maybe. And how did you figure, I mean, obviously it's very shaky, um, and that's, was there an element of figuring out with Linus how, how much shake you're going to have, like how, much, how far you can push it? You know, it's funny, I saw that Spielberg was a... Um, exact on this and it made me instantly think of uh, Private Ryan in that sense mm. I mean very different movies but in that sense of how much can you get away with yeah. in it with the shake to the point that you can you can transpose a feeling onto the audience yeah. and it's not supposed to be easy but you know where's that limit of going too far yeah um, it's, I mean it's definitely something we talked about I mean I think in, in general we we tried to um, we, we basically pushed it as far as, as, as realism would allow. So I think, um, uh, I think we worried less about um, what the audience would be able to withstand and more about what, um, what this might really feel like for these astronauts. Um, and, and, uh, and then you sort of see the footage that comes back and then you can kind of make choices based on that. Um, but there were also kind of weird things that happened, um, you know, to the cameras, for instance, where, you know, because I, I mean, we were shooting everything uh, on film, and, and all, everything inside the capsules is on uh, Super 16, and and you know, it's it's a uh, it's a beautiful format, but it can be a finicky format, um, and uh, and so I remember, you know, certain there's certain kind of anomalies that would sort of crop up in the sh in the rushes that we would get back especially during some of the sort of shakier launches and, and space sequences where either we'd be kind of inside a, a, a full set 
that would be on a uh, gimbal uh, that would be sort of, you know, kind of vibrating and moving and shaking dramatically uh, for the actors to feel that. Um, uh, and sometimes in addition, there would be little kind of uh, uh, sort of motors inside the camera to either, um, either to help stabilize the camera during some of, the, you know, some of that trembling or to further tremble the camera to kind of augment, to do one, one on top of the other. But, um, but sometimes you'd get these anomalies of sort of images on top of images. There's a, there's a few shots in the movie where, where, um, where there's a kind of ghosting effect that happens uh, where you sort of, uh, you're almost seeing a refraction of the image um, uh, within the image itself. So you'll, you know, you'll, you'll see kind of a weird kind of ghosting of Ryan's head or his suit or things like that. That, um, that uh, to be honest, I'm not even entirely sure how, how that happened, but you never really know. Um, <laughs> well, when you uh, bounce it that much, a piece and, of machinery might not. Exactly, <laughs> just like stuff is gonna happen when, when, when everything is tactile and analog. And um, in a way, those were kind of things that we, we liked and wanted to embrace and, and you can never force, but certainly those were, I guess what you'd call accidents that we welcomed. Um, and uh, I think the thinking always was just anything that would help it feel not staged, anything that would help it feel um, like, uh, like, you know, true documentary footage, like, like 60 millimeter cameras having been smuggled into these capsules. Um, and that was a lot of the footage we were looking at for inspiration was the actual archival footage that the astronauts took themselves um, up in space, which was all 16 and, and uh, obviously very kind of rough hewn in its own way. There's a kind of, um, there's a handmade quality to it that again, I think speaks to what sort of impressed me the most about the space program at that time in general was from today's perspective, just how analog and, and again, almost you'd say handmade, uh, every aspect of it was. And then part of this is also shooting it practically. You were talking about on a stage, but I, my understanding is, is, and I never heard of this before, maybe it's something people are doing and I just missed it. Um, you're, you're, you're surrounding the planes and the crafts with, with what, LED monitors of something? Is it, uh, is it? LED screens. LED yeah. screens. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a you know, newer form of, of front projection, basically. So um, the same rules apply. You, you, um, or, or it's the same methodology applies. You're, you're, you're trying to get stuff in camera, so, you, so, you, uh, uh, so you're projecting images uh, outside of the crafts and you know, filming towards them or against them so that you kind of, um, so that you and the actors can sort of see what they would be seeing outside the craft. Um, and, and, and what LED projection gives you is the ability to, to uh, do that both at a, a a level of resolution that can hold up, but also a brightness that can hold up. So you actually use it for lighting as well. So essentially, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, any any of our mounted to craft shots or reflections or things like that would be getting not just the, you know, you wouldn't just be seeing just the LED for a backdrop. But what it really gives you that's that's kind of lovely is is authentic um, interplay with the light on the craft or on the reflections, actual actual um, patternings of color and light. You know, some of which, sure, you could try to, if you wanted to, you could try to recreate or reproduce um, a lot of work. in post. But, um, but again, you're going to get anomalies that you just would never think to reproduce or recreate in post. So it's, it's um, yeah, it just means you have to kind of work in advance. You have to basically do your visual effects before you shoot. Um, you have to sort of animate uh, uh, the, the point of view of the craft for a launch or for the lunar landing or for things like that um, before you get on set um, and then essentially you're playing back 
that material and trying to choreograph the movement of the gimbal and of the you know actual on set lighting and the dialogue and you know all the sort of various pieces that go into a take has to be choreographed in conjunction with the LED projection, essentially the movie that's already been designed that's playing outside the craft. Okay. Um, and then for the family stuff, the home stuff, you uh, you went handheld, you stayed very, you kind of did a, I don't know if the word's verite here, but um, could you talk a little bit about that choice? Because I, you know, I, first off, it's something I haven't really seen you do since the, since Matt, uh, yeah. you know, uh, bench. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, what, it's such a distinct choice. I'm wondering what, was the, what the thinking there was. Um, well, the, the uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, th I think again, the, the thinking was, what would it be like if, uh, if, you know, um, if we, you know, if this were actual authentic documentary footage, um, um, and uh, and and could we use that style to maybe sort of um, yeah de deglamorize, demythologize um, this part of history? It, it, it felt like, especially with someone like Neil Armstrong, the the both the challenge and the appeal to me of doing a movie about him was it, it's hard to get more iconic or more mythic than um, than him or his exploits as as uh, as a sort of uh, as as a subject matter, and and so it's it's it becomes by extension hard to think of him as a human being. I think, and to think of the day by day, uh, uh, you know, of of his life, the in between moments, um, uh, what what the family dynamic might have been like. Um, what is a family like when you know when one member of the family is planning to. Uh, you know, set foot on another, you know, celestial body. Basically, you know, it's it's uh, it's this weird collision of of sort of uh, cosmic mythic significance with uh, just daily um, quotidian, uh, you know, even banality um, that 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 felt to me could you know, and felt to Ryan uh, as well could could really if we. Did it right could really be the heart of the movie. Ryan often sort of, he sort of coined this expression that I stole and that I basically wound up uh, using as a mantra for everyone on set, which, which was uh, uh, just setting up as a dichotomy the moon and the kitchen sink. That the whole movie had to kind of hinge on, on that equation. It was going to be the moon and the kitchen sink, and we never could lose sight of one or the other. And it was going to be about the collision between those two things, or the, or the bleeding into each other of those two things. Um, and uh, and that meant that, you know, while your space sequences need to feel as visceral and real and, and at times awe-inspiring as, as possible, the, the on-the-ground home life stuff had to feel as unstaged, unscripted as possible. Um, and, uh, and so it felt like a good opportunity to, to yeah, to kind of in, uh, uh, return to my roots, so to speak, of doing, um, you know, doing sort of 60 millimeter documentaries uh, or, or, or 60 millimeter documentary style movies, and that's basically how we shot um, all the family stuff, make it feel like home movies, hopefully. Well, it, within that, though, there's different notes you can hit, yeah. you know, and uh, you, you do. But one thing that also struck me was that um, sometimes how tight and intense you, could, you, you made those moments as mm -hmm. well. Um, there, there's a, there's a in, partially, I think it's problem, the answer to the question is probably partially setting up the end, but in general, there's a proximity in this mm -hmm. movie and an intensity that you're you're often capturing with that camera. 
Yeah, I think um, that, you know, it's honestly, I'm not entirely sure. Um, uh, Is it just instinct? How, how, how much was sort of, yeah, planned out and how much was instinct? Because it's, it's um, because I guess I, I, I can sort of recognize a tendency in myself to just like shoot that kind of shooting. Um, I, I like being close, especially, I guess, you know, if I look, like like at at my first film, I, I you know Guy Manlon. I think of like almost similar situation where it was you know characters who don't really speak their emotions, uh, kind of hide their emotions or obfuscate their emotions and kind of sublimate their emotions into other aspects of their life. You know, in that case, it's music. In this case, it's uh, other kinds of work or other kinds of maybe avoidance of emotions. But um, for whatever reason, it just you know it, it winds up dictating a pretty subtle performance style, and so then by extension, feels like uh, uh, if if I'm thinking of the camera as really a camera on a human being's shoulder who is trying to like an archivist or archaeologist trying to kind of grab stuff and, and instinctively trying to put a microscope on stuff, it just seems to lend itself to a camera that's going to want to be close and that's going to want to be. Uh, uh, trying to, like a microscope, pick up the smallest flutters, the smallest little micro gestures, or, or, or again, in between moments between people. Um, and, uh, and so I think when we were editing the movie, uh, then, you know, sort of it became a matter of, okay, finding a balance between, you know, times where we need to feel the space uh, and times where we need to feel the intimacy and the proximity. But for the most part, it felt like if we could uh, feel physically close to the characters, to, the, to, 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 to almost to the point where you feel like you can, you can, uh, uh, you know, you can see the beads of sweat. You can see the little uh, uh, sort of uh, flecks of hair or the little shifts in the eyes. And if you carry that into the space capsules, where you're forced to be really close because they're so tiny, um, it felt like that could be a way of unifying the language of the movie. And then also at the same time, as you mentioned, setting up. A contrast with the moments where we finally do go into the expanse of space, for instance, on the moon, uh, you know, uh, where we sort of uh, uh, switch from shooting 16 to shooting kind of the polar opposite of 16, which is IMAX. Um, so it's kind of uh, trying to set up those contrasts that we knew we could pay off at the end. Um, I think that was also certainly certainly part of the thinking in post, but but. In terms of kind of leading up to it, I think a lot of it might have been more instinctual and just kind of where it felt to me and Lena's like we wanted to live. Now, and I want to jump to that, so I don't want to spend too much time here, but is it in that sense, in the collaboration with Claire and Ryan and Linus, is there also some freedom in that you're talking about shooting it kind of a doc style? Is there also, obviously, there's dialogue and there's a script, but the movement and the action is something that they're feeling, and then therefore, Linus is yeah. reacting in that way. That yeah, we, we try, I mean, with everything we tried to basically set up, uh, I mean, we had kind of a, a, a rule on set was that basically everything would have to be 360, uh, which meant that, um, you know, which could be tricky for a period film. It meant that um, no matter where the camera turned or what room an actor decided to go into, it had to be lit. It had to be uh, obviously, you know, a set, you know, correct set design and, and, and cleared of any, uh, 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 equipment. Got to be know. able to go 360, um, which is which is tricky. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah light it in a certain way. So yeah, see stands and and um, um, and 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 everything kind of had to be, you know, uh, uh, 
uh, sort of functional and practical to the extent that things could just happen and then Linus and I would figure out how to shoot them. Like we would, we would, we'd be the, the fly on the wall documentary cinema verite crew that would sort of, uh, 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 you know, move in and try to capture these moments that would be happening with or without us. That was sort of, that was, um, that's kind of what had to be the, the, the mode of filmmaking. And so, you know, uh, uh, so if it's something like uh, like a dinner party sort of scene, um, it'd be very important to have you know the kids running around playing their own sort of game that had nothing to do with the scripted scene, while the adults were you know saying scripted dialogue, but maybe riffing on that as well. And then at the same time, you know, a dog is coming in and out, and maybe uh, two other adults who aren't involved in the specific scripted scene are often in another room having their own conversation, and maybe we can put another camera on them, or we can when we feel like just sort of dovetail from the scripted conversation over to the adults in the other room and you know so you again you create kind of a three-dimensional 360 immersive sort of time travel <laughs> kind of uh, feel uh, it's also how we did mission control I remember you know that was one place where it where it, it was tricky to make that work but it was important to us um, so for example every you know every desk every flight controller uh, you know of the 20 or so flight controllers in that scene um, each had to essentially have their own private script um, that would walk them through the entire scene. So they always had something real to be saying so that we could shoot wherever we wanted. We can move a camera from, you know, Guido over to Fido or Fido over to Gina Systems or whatever, you know, or then over to the flight director. And at any given moment, they would be saying what they would actually have been saying at that time. Um, so it was never sort of planned, okay, now we're going to shoot just this person. Now we're going to shoot just this person. Everything had to always be, um, everything was, was, uh, Fair game, essentially. So, you know, uh, Karen Armstrong's daughter dies in 61. Uh, you know, the next is they join the Gemini mission. And so while, while we have the mission movie and we have the home life story, you know, Neil is this, um, he's, I, I, I'm not trying to, you know, simplify, but I mean, he's emotionally removed from dealing with the situation, um, setting up. Uh, finally, Apollo 11 landing on the moon, which is this glorious last half an hour in which um, not only do we have the landing on the moon, but we also have this emotional transition. Um, I, I, I'm wondering, uh, this is a remarkable piece of filmmaking that is beautifully set up. I'm wondering, and I want to dive into it, but just kind of big picture, could you talk about what you were looking, you know, because I have to imagine this is kind of like, <laughs> that's what I want. I want to see if I can do this. This is like operatic, and I got to set that up. I mean, what were you trying to do with with that section there? The kind of big picture. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, I guess in 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 many ways, it did feel similar to the last couple movies um, that I did in the sense of uh, um, trying to. You know, no, no, knowing where you ultimately want to wind up, and so so a lot of it becomes seeding properly to allow yourself to get there, and 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 knowing also that that where you want to wind up is ideally, if you, if you do it right, is going to be you know I guess what you could kind of pretentiously, but I sort of like the term call pure cinema, um, where 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 you allow um, just the basic primary elements of cinema. Uh, take over, um, you know, basically music and image or sound and image, you know, and, 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 uh, and so whether it's a, a, 
whether it's a you know drum solo or music concert and you know whiplash or a kind of musical number dream ballet and la la land um or or obviously very different subject matter but you know kind of similarly climactic sequence here it's 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 uh it's something where you know ideally the 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 emotional currents that you've tried to develop in the narrative and in the characters uh uh, uh in the you know pre- preceding um amount of screen time uh, can kind of explode somewhat ecstatically. I guess I sort of like what can happen there, especially if you've been bottling up a certain amount until then. And, uh, you know, the, the, there's few characters who bottle things up more than Neil. Um, so it, it kind of felt like to, 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 you know, to put this character through the ringer, as, as, as I think was the reality of his life leading up to the, to the lunar landing. Um, and and then essentially, yeah, set the stage for, for him to do the thing that you know, we're, we're all waiting for him to do, just land on the moon. Um, I think to, 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 try to, to try to make that landing feel not like an inevitable piece of history and not like just a technical kind of maneuver, but basically a culmination of everything he's emotionally been through. Um, was was really important, and I think it's kind of where the music for me it kind of comes back to music always. And, and this 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 section has movements. It's almost they're, 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 mm-hmm. it's like a piece of music, and the mu- it, and I'm curious about the collaboration there. Uh, you know, with I guess your longtime friend and longtime composer um, Justin, in that sense that I, I'm guessing here um, that music is something that was worked out ahead of time because mm-hmm. it feels to me in watching this I can almost see you approaching this like you have your musicals in that sense of figuring out what that movement is feeling the musicality of mm-hmm. it and almost you can almost feel the visuals follow it is that that's yeah. my instinct god I hope I'm right but <laughs> no yeah you're totally right the the um I mean the landing sequence itself was uh was was uh um scored and 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 kind of mocked up as a demo and then basically pre like storyboarded essentially um uh, uh uh you know all during prep and uh and 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 I wound up doing what you know s- s- same thing I actually did um uh with the climax of Whiplash was was creating a kind of um animatic I guess uh, you'd say uh you know I worked with a, a terrific uh uh, editor Peter Dowd to to uh, to sort of mail Justin's music and and uh, storyboards as well as a certain amount of archival imagery um, you know uh, which there's plenty from the lunar the various Apollo lunar missions into uh, into essentially a a kind of five minute animatic that became a little bit the the uh, the blueprint, the reference point for for all of us uh, for how to shoot it. You know, um, uh, it sort of helped me learn. Okay, here's where we're going to want to be outside the craft. Here's where we want to be inside. Here is where the various beats of the mission are going to want to happen. I, you know, it, this was after we had at least a, a version of the script for that mission, which essentially is an abridgment of the the actual comms of that mission. I mean, you can go online and hear the entire comms of. I'm sorry, by mission I mean the actual landing. Um, and so everything from the alarms going haywire to the fuel dropping down to the you know issues with the uh, uh, the rocky surface and the crater and 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 whatnot, um, all of that is kind of in the in the transcript in the comms. And so we knew sort of what the touchstones we wanted to kind of hit on were, um, and where we would want to abridge and where we would want to live in real time. Um, 
And so, uh, so, uh, so this, the, the, the music and the animatic kind of helped sort of distill all of that. And so we went to set with that as sort of a, a, a tool um, and, uh, and much more so than, than you know, the non-space sequences of the movie. We sort of shot what we knew we would need um, uh, specifically in terms of angles and in terms of moments for that scene, knowing that it would cut together to this, to this piece of music. Um, and, you know, uh, that was probably the most kind of controlled piece of, of shooting in the movie, but it's, it's, it, it's, it wound up being not too dissimilar from how I shot all the space sequences, I'd say, in the movie, where whether they were pre-scored or not, some of them were, some of them weren't, um, they were all uh, uh, pre-visualized to some extent. You know, animatics were kind of, you know, often very rough-hewn, but, you know, were, were sort of created for all of them. Um, and, uh, and then there would even be instances where, you know, for certain in-between moments uh, um, where because I had a lot of this score, uh, thanks to Justin, sort of demoed before shooting, um, it would even sometimes help the actors. Ryan would sometimes request to hear you know, a little bit of the score just in his earbud, in his helmet or something, just to kind of be put into the mind space of Neil at a certain moment. And um, so, so it, 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 it uh, the, you know, make a long story short, having a lot of the music written before shooting, um, even though this wasn't a musical, mm -hmm. uh, was still, uh, at least to me, immensely valuable. What about the moon itself? I mean, that's, it's, uh you know, there's an element here of, you know, this last 30 minutes is very, you know, right from the minute that they go to the spaceship and you put us inside the element, you know, Ryan has been this wall, you know, yeah. and now we're, you know, you're putting us in his sound, you're putting us in vision, you know, the, the, the spatial yeah. itself is a different perspective. Um, one feels, and then, and, and then there's this emotional transference, you know, the moon becomes, and then that face, he's, mm -hmm. he's got, he's so good at the, emotionless face and then seeing just little pieces yeah. of it come through and that culminates in in this moon sequence uh, which people could see how you actually shot with the you know emotion and the and the old family footage but what about the actual moon i mean i know it's imax you shot in a quarry outside of atlanta i mean there's a there's a technical story here but i wonder if you could just talk about like you know this is now you know the stage for this yeah. this emotional transference that we've kind of you know I've heard you talk about seventh heaven this is this is the walk up the stairs yes. <laughs> you know yeah. and it, it feels to me I was one because I one one imagines you have to think about that visually in terms of the emotion too and yeah I'm like, talk about that approach to the, to the um, actual moon I think uh, well I, I, we sort of approached it in two two halves I guess the first half being the uh, the sort of walk down the ladder the kind of I guess you call it the sort of um, the, the entering the world sort of uh, uh, piece of it, which we wanted to feel as real time and, and kind of as unaffected as possible, unmanipulated, as though you forget there's a filmmaker in a way. You're just seeing what Neil saw. Uh, you're seeing at certain times what the camera saw, kind of reflecting what, you know, the footage we, we all have seen, you know, and, and, and so it's a moment to kind of be behind the scenes of that famous footage and see what the real version of that was, where, where the camera came down, how that camera worked, what Neil would have done to make that camera work, and what, you know, and what he would have been seeing as he said his famous words. But I think all of that we knew that that would not be scored, that it would not be uh, artificially sped up, that Ryan would be respecting the cadence and rhythm of exactly what Neil said. Um, we'd be living in the silences and living in the, the, the dead moments. Uh, uh, 
uh, of that. Um, but then something kind of necessarily almost has to shift once that first, first footprint is made. Once, once, once he's truly kind of become the moon man, so to speak, once he's uh, uh, truly um, entered himself into uh, the history books in that sense, then, then it felt like our real responsibility was to, was to try to make cinematic what the emotions at that moment might be. Um, and so to actually uh, uh, no longer uh, 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 document, but hopefully, uh, I don't know, we'd you know, sort of wax lyrical about, about um, maybe what this might have felt like. And of course, I, I can't know for sure what, <laughs> what, what it felt like for Neil at that moment. I, I certainly, you know, reading interviews with him, talking to, getting to talk one-on-one -on -one with other people who did walk on the moon, um, uh, uh, there's just some sense of, you, I guess I, you can't ignore the spiritual side of it. There's, there's sort of, it's actually part of what's remarkable to me about the Apollo program in general is that it was such a dry program at its, at its core. This was engineering. This was num these were numbers on pages. This was physical and, and, and emotionless in many ways in terms of how it was kind of compartmentalized. And the people who were being sent off to the moon were not poets. They weren't, uh, uh, you know, painters. They weren't, uh, 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 in many cases, they weren't overly spiritual people. And yet, Every single one of them, when you kind of ask them, when, they, when you hear interviews of them talking about their experience on the moon, you'd think you were listening to poets or to great spiritualists or, you know, one, Al Bean became a painter after walking on the moon and just painted moon paintings basically for the rest of his life. Like, it tapped into something that science couldn't tap into for these very science-minded individuals uh, uh, once they walked on the moon. And so it felt like if we could somehow get at that shift just through the filmmaking and basically go from raw reportage to to just silent film IMAX, poetry silent, yeah, and yeah and use too. the IMAX to kind of to to let you live in that um that felt like that would be that would be the key so it, it, it you know instead of looking at documentaries for everything else in the moon surface we were I was looking at like silent ghost movies and you know looking at like uh dryer and looking at a uh, um um you know a uh, uh, uh stuff like that where where you just sort of um where hopefully it just becomes music of a different of a different sort you had referenced um the amazing archival that nasa has mm -hmm. yeah. um i mean just if you could because the sequence that we're talking about is beautifully crafted and you kind of spoken to the poetry and but you're there was there's, there's something very unique here about how you're able to use that archival but shape it into your movie and your musicality. Could you talk just briefly about that? Uh, well, d I mean, definitely that sequence, and, and I guess it actually applies to all the space sequences throughout the movie, uh, um, especially when, when I was kind of at that, those early stages of creating, whether it was animatics or sort of kind of lining up storyboards together or mood boards or whatnot, um, you know, time and again, almost out of necessity, I would be turning to the archival footage. Um, and it was actually this great kind of... Uh, uh, in some ways, it was a great, uh, you know, it might have seemed limiting at certain times because, uh, you know, um, because of the limits inherent in the archival footage, but I really, I loved what those limits were. I loved the fact that, you know, if we could really make this feel like archival and, and, and show only what cameras would actually physically be seeing, 
um, and see what you know what kind of even if we wanted to go full out surreal poetic what have you um, you find a lot of that in the archival itself there's amazing imagery of, of you know on the lunar surface for instance of just um, just you know, long lens photography of someone, you know, of a lone astronaut standing uh, uh, at, on a kind of hilltop um, on the moon. I mean, the, you don't actually have to manipulate those images a lot to get tremendous inspiration from them. And so I think, um, so, you know, everything in the lunar sequence was stuff we shot ourselves, but we were, we were always looking at uh, certain models for those, for those images. You know, the long kind of shadows sharply etched against the surface, you know, that was drawn from Hasselblad photography, um, uh, you know, from Apollo 11. Um, you know, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's an amazing image of, from one of the later Apollo missions of, of you know, uh, an astronaut taking a picture of a family photo against the lunar surface, a little Polaroid that he set against the lunar surface. Um, that sort of inspired a lot of kind of what we wind up doing with Neil alone um, towards the end of the lunar sequence. and, and the idea that you you know you go to the moon to think about Earth, ironically. Um, so yeah, it just wound up dictating a lot, um, even more than I think I would have normally anticipated. Well, it is a glorious film, but the last half an hour is some of the best stuff I've ever seen. Congratulations on the movie. Thank um, you. Man. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks. Mm -hmm.